We don't live in a colorblind society, and that's a fact. We know this because Black, Latinx, and Native American folks are disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, and the police have murdered countless Black individuals, such as George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. These are one of the few examples that show that race and ethnicity still play a huge part in the United States. So if our society isn't colorblind, then can we stop pretending that higher education, contracting, and public employment should be colorblind too? My name is Maxine Demolanta, and I'm a rising third year at UCLA, double majoring in education and social transformation and political science. I'm by no means an expert on affirmative action, but I am one of four passionate interns working with Asian Pacific Islander American Public Affairs this summer. And our final project is to educate and inform the AANHPI community on why it's critical for us to mobilize and get Proposition 16 passed this November. Affirmative action is a topic that the Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander community, or AANHPI for short, seems to be divided on. I've heard a lot of Asian students and parents talk about how bringing back affirmative action will hurt our communities, specifically in the realm of admissions and higher education. There was even an Instagram account, originally called Asian Students Matter, raging against the idea of California's Proposition 16, which will repeal the original Proposition 209 that banned affirmative action in California in the 1990s. This rhetoric is extremely divisive as it's a direct result of racial triangulation and pinning communities of color against each other to uphold white supremacy and power structures. In addition, many people fall into the trap of believing the model minority myth or the idea that Asians are the ideal minority. Even though I could talk about this false idea for days, I won't. But I do think it's important to point out that while false, the model minority myth and Asian Americans' proximity to whiteness has still led to upward social mobility for many Asian families. However, this isn't true for all Asian Americans. Asian individuals are not a monolith. We are not one size fits all. And there's so many ethnic groups that fall under the general category of Asian. But because important data is often not disaggregated and AANHPIs are always grouped together, Many people don't understand this. In higher education, Southeast Asians and Pacific Islanders are still extremely underrepresented. Pacific Islander and Southeast Asian students, such as Vietnamese, Hmong, Filipino, Cambodian, and many other groups, make up very small percentages of the populations enrolled in California universities, like the University of California. When affirmative action was banned in the 1990s in California, the UC system saw a drop in the enrollment of Pacific Islander and Southeast Asian students, as well as a drop in our retention rates. There were many programs and opportunities that were created aiming to raise these declining rates. But unfortunately, it's not the same as when affirmative action was legal in California. Even two decades later, these admission and retention rates are still not at the same level as when affirmative action was legal. There are many factors that contribute to this, including the declining quality of education that many underserved, underfunded public schools provide to students of color, as well as the widening socioeconomic gap. These lower enrollment rates for Southeast Asian and Pacific Islanders can't just be solved by work harder, be smarter, be involved more. It takes real institutional change to be able to raise these enrollment and retention rates for Southeast Asian and Pacific Islander students. Affirmative action will not be detrimental to the Asian American community. It will actually help us. A lot of students and a lot of ethnic groups that are overlooked, especially in higher education and their admissions. 
One of the biggest misconceptions I hear about affirmative action affecting Asian Americans is that the number of Asian students in the UC will drop from 42% to like 12% or whatever number that they're putting out there. But in reality, that's just not true. I think that number, the 12%, comes from this idea of a racial quota system where you have to have a certain number of students of color, such as Black or Latinx or Native American, um, in proportion to the population of California. However, that's just not true. In the 1970s, um, there was a Supreme Court case called the UC Regents versus Bakke, which made racial quotas illegal in California and the United States. If affirmative action comes back in the state of California, racial quotas won't be enacted because that's literally illegal. In the UC system, for example, race and ethnicity will only be one of 14 checkpoints that will be used in the admissions process. This means that your application will not solely be weighed on your race or ethnicity. There's literally 13 other bullet points that readers have to check for, including your GPA, extracurriculars, volunteer work, geographic location of your school, and so many others that you can check out on their website since it's public information. Another popular idea that I've seen on social media is this idea that affirmative action takes away spots from quote-unquote qualified students and gives them to quote-unquote unqualified students. This is so problematic on so many levels for so many reasons. Merit is literally a made-up westernized concept to feed into the American dream and this idea that someone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But can someone please explain to me how one pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps if they don't have boots or straps to begin with? The various complex systems of oppressions that exist in the United States and throughout the world takes away the boots and the straps from people of color. Secondly, what makes you think you're qualified? If you're going to tell me that it's because you've had many AP classes, your GPA is super high, you scored so well on the SAT, which is a whole other issue in itself, and you've done a lot of internships or done a lot of volunteer work, please check your privilege. Because of redlining that has historically happened in the United States and discriminated against many people of color, a lot of our schools are underfunded, they're underserved and quote-unquote disadvantaged, and many students of color, low-income students, first-generation college students, didn't have access to AP classes or honors classes. Our teachers sometimes really sucked, so we didn't do too well in the standardized testing like SAT and ACT, and we didn't have opportunities handed to us, and many of us didn't even have time to do volunteer work because we had to look for jobs or take care of family and our siblings. That's not to discredit anyone who has worked very hard to get to where they are and had to go searching and applying to many internships in order to get the one. That's not what I'm here to do. All of your opportunities are valid. Your hard work is extremely valid. I'm just saying that there are students who aren't as fortunate as you were. There are students who didn't even know internships were there for them. Some schools don't even offer AP classes and some only offer like four for your entire four years in high school and some schools just had some really crappy teachers who didn't prepare them for standardized testing such as the sat or act 
If you had an English teacher who left after one semester of the school year and left you with lines of subs and had you guys watch movies every single day, this is for you. And if you had an AP bio teacher who was a chef as his main hustle and taught AP bio on the side, this is also for you. Okay, maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but these are just some of the instances that students of color have to face when they're in underserved, underfunded public schools. That doesn't mean we're unqualified. A lack of resources and opportunity doesn't mean you should be disqualified automatically. That doesn't mean that students who come from communities and schools like these don't bring important cultural capital to the table. And it also does not mean that they won't succeed in institutions of higher education. We also have to remember that affirmative action is literally trying to increase racial and ethnic diversity in institutions of higher education. So when individuals say, well, we should be using income or socioeconomic status instead of race, that's just not valid because it doesn't yield the same amount of racial diversity in colleges compared to literal race and ethnicity. Also, not sure if this is 100% true, but I do know the UCs take into consideration geographic location, and that's often tied to socioeconomic status and income level. I also want to point out this idea that, well, affirmative action won't actually do anything. There are so many bigger things that need to be addressed. Affirmative action won't address all of the needs and the problems that are happening in these schools. You're not wrong. You are right. It won't fix everything. Affirmative action isn't the end-all be-all. But you know what affirmative action does do? It opens the doors for students from these schools, from these communities, and it gives them access to institutions of higher education. Gaining access to colleges and universities and other institutions of higher education is just the first step. Like I said, it's not the end-all be-all, but it does open a lot of doors for a lot of students. And oftentimes in college, at least in my experience, I was able to learn about the systems of oppression that were affecting my community and my local schools specifically. More of a personal anecdote, but my time in college gave me a lot of time to reflect on what was happening to my community and what was affecting my community. And it really inspired me to pursue a career in education policy and hopefully shape the way our schools are funded in the future, how our teachers are trained in the future, how money is allocated to our schools in the future. I'm not saying this will happen to everyone. I'm not saying that, you know, everyone has to go to college either. But if we do want to increase the quality of education that many students of color receive in these underfunded schools, we have to give the next generation the opportunity to learn this stuff, which is where affirmative action comes in. If we open the doors for students, students may take what they learn and go back. And if they don't, it's not the end of the world. But I guarantee you, there will be one student out of the 12s of thousands you admit to your university that will want to make a change in their community. And one of those kids will want to go into the education field. That was quite a tangent, um, but what I'm really trying to say is that affirmative action is not the whole plan. It's the first step to major change within our higher education system, within our K-12 through education system, within California as a whole. You're right that it won't fix everything, but it's certainly a start.
it's a major step in the right direction. The next issue is the SAT and ACT, but we'll get there when we get there. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for sticking around with me. Um, I know that was kind of a lot. I seemed angry at times, but it's passion, I swear. Um, just so you know, we're voting on Proposition 16 in November, along with a lot of other important legislation. So please do your best to educate yourself. And if you can't vote, then educate those around you. There are so many resources online to educate yourself. Instagram is actually, for me, a huge one. There are a lot of accounts that will definitely point you in the right direction. Asian Students for AA on Instagram is a great resource, especially for all my fellow A and HPIs, as well as Yes on Prop 16, which is the account for the Opportunity for All Coalition. You also might want to take a look at Educators for Justice on Instagram, as well as EdTrust West. Google is also a really great resource, and any questions that you have probably can be answered on there with a simple Google search. My amazing project team is also creating great graphics and actually links so you can tweet in support of affirmative action and Prop 16. So keep an eye out for those and that link once they drop. If you do want another mode of learning um, for all of you visual learners out there. The biggest shout out to the Apapa Sacramento internship team, um, Leah Nitake, Kathleen Soriano, Jason Lee, Zai Leggett. Thank you all so much for all of your support throughout this summer. Thank you for pushing us outside of our comfort zone and allowing us to express our passion for policy and public service in such creative ways. We appreciate you so much. And thank you to my amazing project group, Derek Emai, Danielle Sousa, Madison Seo. You guys are the best and I had so much fun working on this project with you all. And also shout out to the rest of the Papa 2020 interns, Derek why Angela and Cameron thank you to all the interns for the friendship and memories even though it was all virtual this year that's crazy um it was such a fun summer and I had a lot of fun recording this podcast I don't know if there will be another episode after this um but if you do you can follow me on Instagram and request one at Maxine DeMolanta I'll put the link in the description box thank you again for listening I appreciate those of you who tuned in and I will see you at the polls on November 3rd third or maybe even a couple days before and two weeks before if you are planning to vote by mail take care and stay safe